Check, mic, check. This is Call Classic Interview number 21. And I'm here with Wendigo. As you can tell, we're not in the normal studio. We are in Astoria, Queens, New York. Indeed. The most unordinary studio there ever was. The most unordinary studio there ever was. And this is where... Does Christ Dillinger record a lot of his music here? Nah, I've actually never seen him around this area. Oh, I've never seen him around this area before. Much not. Like me personally, I'll come here to go to the deli because we got a fire ass Philly cheesesteak here. But like, I don't really be like coming out here. I I told you to come here. It's a very nondescript location. I got no ops in the neighborhood, so like we're chilling. But like, yeah, it's a good (laughs) spot. Yeah, I thought I thought you. I remember you telling me that he was too scared to come around here. Christ, yeah, he'd be big bugging because he'd be like, (laughs) I'm wearing a three thousand dollar outfit. I can't go out that way. I'm about to get mugged. I'm like, man. But you know, love the man very much. Shout out Christ Dillinger. Man, so <laughs> you're from Brooklyn? I'm not. I'm from Manhattan originally, originally. And then uh, I moved out, moved upstate to like a really small little farmer town called Woodstock. And I was there for like, you know, most elementary school, middle school, high school. I went to California for a year, and then I just came back here the past year. So you just, oh, damn, that's a lot of fucking traveling. Yeah, we've been so around. You were in Woodstock most of your life, then went to Cali for only a year, and then... Yeah, so I was out in Cali, like, in college for a year, and then I oh, dropped I out. See. And I was, like, living with Darkie for, like, a month out there, and then I've gone back there a few times to just, like, chill for, you know, a few weeks on end, just, like, working with the Spider Gang heads. But, yeah, it's the home base now. It's Brooklyn. That's what's... So you like it here the most? I love it here in Brooklyn, yeah. It's definitely, like, it's a lot sometimes, like, just living here in New York. It just moves really quick, which is, like, sometimes that becomes, like, just really, like, exhausting on you. But yeah. I'd say, like, coming from Woodstock, like, in Woodstock, you know, you can go, like, an entire seven years there, and in one week in New York, have, like, more opportunities come in front of you just here in, like, this city. Damn. Yeah, like, just, you never know what'd be going on. You might just walk into a party and, like, Icy Twat is just there, just DJing <laughs> or something. So, how is the music scene here compared to the other places, You compared to, like, L.A. and stuff well, like that? I would say I've never I have never had the pleasure of living in a place that has just like a particularly good music scene. So like you know New York has a scene, but this city has a, just a lot of people in it doing a lot. So it's almost kind of hard to like put a name to it or even like put a sound to it. There just be you know people making tight you know kind of glitchy trap people making super hard like trap metal. You have people just making R and B. People not just like making indie rock. People making hardcore. So it's like there's just all types of music going on here and like it's just you know people know each other in this scene but it's not like there's really much like a unified movement to it mm. so i would say the new york music scene is like not particularly great but the fact that it's like kind of too big is also a plus because you can just move out here and like just do your like just make your own moves and just do your thing and like people aren't necessarily gonna bother you if you don't like bring them in to bother you um california i was out in santa cruz for you that's also like a small town so like there's much of a scene there yeah. la you know kind of like new york too big ass city so it just has a lot of different movements going on within that but i do think that uh la is a bit more unified than new york is because like you know the west coast does have more of like a sound that still survived back from like the 90s than say yeah. on the east coast like boom bap and all that kind of like went away after a while so yeah like i don't know that i've been to other cities like just around the countries that i'd say have way better scenes I mean, i've never been to miami but i hear miami has like one of the best scenes out here yeah miami's killing right like now. i was out in charlotte where i first met you and that yeah. was like i feel like from like that i gather there's a pretty good scene there even places like detroit you know like detroit right now actually especially 
yeah, yeah it's like i think it, it, like having a good scene in a city almost comes down like the city can't actually be too great like new york city like there's too much here on, like to be offered to people who live here and because of that you can't really like unify people because it's like you have heads living in say like you know brooklyn versus manhattan versus queens their experiences are all just so different from each other because the city is just so wide re- like just reaching and how much there is going on you're not going to necessarily catch people like really on a similar wave yeah damn so how would you what would you say the spider gang sound is would you say it's more of a new york based sound or la based sound? i feel like spider gang sounds like an internet based sound really anything like because there are there's certain heads in the group who definitely will play into certain like you know city based sounds but most of us i don't think any of us like when we started making music we're necessarily trying to like rep any one place yeah so you know like you'll hear someone like darky make a song that's like very like trappy and more just like reflective of, like you know the modern just overall sound but then you'll also like, make a boom bap song and then you know you'll hear someone like brumman make beats that are just like super loud like, like the soundcloud sound and then you'll have him like hit a bay area beat so it's just like the spider gang sound i'd say way more comes down to more just like certain like features and qualities of like the overall music as opposed to like just a direct sound like you know how g-funk it's like when you hear g-funk you know that's g-funk when you hear yeah. boom bap you know like there's certain like spider gang you know we have a lot of yelling music and a lot of weird glitchy things and a lot of just like very cartoonish music but you can't really, like i don't think you can really put just like a certain filter to it it's like oh this is the spider gang sound it's because there are a lot of heads out here in the group is doing different things like we have a so they have like a signature technique but not like a signature sound that makes sense. And even you got, like, gunk rock, which is kind of, like, a lot of... It was just composed of, like... Or made up of Spider Gang members. Yeah. You can say that's kind of, like, even an offshoot of the Spider Gang sound. Yeah, that's gunk kinda rock. kind of, like, in the general vicinity of Yeah, because, like, within Spider Gang, I guess you want to, like, look at it within, like, the individual members. that Like, especially, like, on the production side, there's a few people in Spider Gang who I think kind of, like, push forward certain, like, styles within it. So, like, for example, there's a guy, Salsa, the producer... And Salsa's beats, like versus Meteor Cube or anybody else in Spider Gang, are very much like in a different position. They're way more like swampy and eerie. And you know, he produces for Gunk Rock probably like the most in terms of like their singles. So the Gunk Rock sound's gonna feature a lot more just like moody, darker, like trippy shit, as opposed to like Spider Gang, which is gonna have that in it, but also is gonna have like all types of loud, crazy abrasiveness. Yeah. You know, like more just like artful shit, like indie shit or whatever. So like, yeah, it's like, I guess Spider Gang, it's almost like. The sound you get out of the group, it's almost like a big-ass, like, dice-rolling machine, like a slot machine. Like, you just push the lever, like, you have, say, Souls to produce the song, and then you put Flocko and Christ Dillinger on it. Like, that sound is going to have its own thing, too. But then, say, you know, you just, like, flip that again, you take Flocko and put him on, like, and Christ Dillinger, put him on, like, a Cubensis beat. It's going to be, like, a different thing altogether. So it's kind of just, like, the combination of people within the group lends itself to just, like, different sounds all around. Yeah, definitely. So... One, um, so you basically saying Cubensis, like, I'm trying, I'm getting tongue tied what I'm trying to say. You and Cubensis, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of figure out the timeline of how like Spider Gang kind of got started. Okay. Well, Darky was talking a lot about Cubensis. Yeah. And then I have you in the picture, which you, you kind of helped really form Darky's sound. Mm-hmm. And then Darky was talking about Cubensis really helping form Darky's overall image and, who Darky is. Yeah. So I'm just really trying to figure out where in that whole picture what really connected Spider Gang. Yeah, sure. So like basically, I'm just going to give you like kind of how Spider Gang was created. So all these different heads in Spider Gang, like for the most part, prior to any of us like working together as a group, 
where you're like much like little splinter groups. So the original Spider Gang got created back when I was in junior and high school. So I was like 16 years old. So this was, I'm gonna say, like almost five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And it was just me and some friends from my hometown. I had just I started just like mixing vocals. I wasn't even producing beats at this point. I was just mixing vocals. And uh, three other rappers from my town who all like, they we made a few songs together under the name Spider Gang and then just like stopped. And that was that. And then flash forward like two years later, I was in college and uh, me and some homies went into this tree. We were off like three tabs of acid a piece. And we're walking around in the woods and we see this like Damn. big rope structure thing in this tree that somebody had put there, like a spider web or something. Mm-hmm. So we climb up into that and we just like, I don't know how to explain it to you in any other way than just like we became spiders. Like we were all just tripping so hard in these trees. That's like wild. like my friend was talking to me and I was just hearing like spider, 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 spider. And like, I was just like, I felt like I had eight limbs. Like we were just all just became spiders and like developed a little like culture of just spider culture, like what it meant to be a spider. And uh, since that happened, like I had a bit of a falling out with one of those guys back then. And then the other dude who was there just like moved away. So we haven't really been doing anything together. Like that's so that's better getting disbanded. But before all that happened, I met uh, Kaiba, Half Metal Kaiba, who's now Stone Man. Back with this and he was Half Metal Kaiba. Mm-hmm. And so I had just been producing for me like, you know, two or three months. And then I made a song with him called Indigo Underworld. And through him, he was from the same hometown as Brummain God. So like I was out in Santa Cruz. They were like an hour and a half up north. I was just making some songs like, you know, here and there throughout that year. And then I met both of them one day. And I met Stone Man, Brummain God, some other heads. We made a group called Inferno Club, which became Brummain God, Brummain God's brother, me, and Stone Man. And then, and then also this girl, Aubrey, who's now Sicko, and this girl, Tati. And uh, me and Brandon, were just, uh, Stone Man, were just hanging out one day. We just like recorded an open for a song, mm-hmm. and I went home after that. And he is on SoundCloud, like looking to send it out to somebody, and he finds Little Darky on SoundCloud. So, this is all up to this point. This is all New York people. This is no, all these are mostly California people. This oh, one okay. I was on, so this was basically like mid 2018, like early to mid 2018. When you were in college, okay. yeah, okay. And um, so Stone Man finds Darky, puts him on the song. I hear the song like a week later. I hear Darky's verse. I never heard of him prior. And my mind was just blown. I was like, this guy's lit. I'm trying to work with this guy more. Yeah. So I hit him up. And then slowly over the course, like the next year. So Cubensis, basically like me, Stoneman, and Brummin were kind of like one little group within Spider Gang. Cubensis and Darky had already been working together for like a year, year and a half at this point. And uh, they had loads of material out. And then there's other heads like Flocko and Edison, who we didn't know at the time, were also working together. We have Christ Dillinger who was working with other heads. He would come into the picture like much later. And yeah, just like through, over the course, basically like a year, we all just like became friends, and then at some point we decided, all right, let's, 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 let's like make a group, and the name Spider Gang just got like chosen because at this point, like that was just kind of we were all just all in the spider way. Like ever since like I had that acid trip, that just became the thing, and then Spider Gang became what it is today. So, back when you had that acid trip, oh, word. were you were you making beats at that time? Yeah, you were. Yeah, I started making beats in like late 2017, like basically like a month before going to college. And then at this point, I like when I had that trip, I maybe only had like four or five songs out that, like I had produced. So I was like, I wasn't even named when they go at this point. His name was Soulcraft. Um, so it was like really early on in my career. But yeah, at this point, like, I was just starting to get into it. What? What? How did that come together? What made you jump into beats? Because you you said you were playing guitar for what? Yeah. Like nine, so 10 it, years? it was kind of like yeah, it was kind of random. Um, I was playing guitar prior, just like for years at this point, like in bands throughout high school, middle school, and. Uh, I had this band called the Bobby Lees that I was in, and we were just like recording, 
and it was like the studio we would go to record it. Sometimes we just record in the house. But um, I wanted to figure out a way to just like record us like for the cheap. So I got Ableton, and uh, I had just gotten it to record guitar. But like one night, like I was already like I was a fan of rap at this point. So like you know, at some point I knew I'd have the thought like maybe we'll try to make a beat. And I just like did it one night, and then from that point there was just like no looking back. I just like got like you a just hooked instantly. right there. Yeah. Okay, damn. So let's backtrack a little bit. From Manhattan, originally moved over to Woodstock. When did your interest kind of peak in music? Were um, you, was music always kind of the goal? Music was always okay. That's a good question, actually, because yeah, like for a lot of people, like a lot of artists, they'll always say like, yeah, music was always the goal, and like yeah, for my whole life, I said music was the goal, but I didn't have like a a real perception of like what I wanted to do or like really how I would go about doing that till I was like 17 and uh, I was in this music school called the Paul Green Rock Academy and this guy named Paul Green ran it and he would just go around and just like he basically would just like give us songs to learn and we would just like learn them and go out and do shows just, like around the country and there was one show like I was a senior in high school at like the very end of my time there went to Germany for like a week and did a show in this place called Zappenau which is like this big ass Frank Zappa festival and we did this show in front of like so like maybe like 5,000 people which you know I was 17 at the time like 5,000 heads Damn. and I had never I don't know just, I just walked out on that stage and the feeling that I got of just like being in front of like thousands of people it was like the craziest high I've ever experienced in my life it was like, like euphoria pure euphoria and I walked off that stage that day like completely just like changed I was like this was the best thing I've ever done in my life but I like I'm only 17 like, I can't not do this again in my life so in that moment that was like when I realized like yeah I have to pursue music now because like I just basically got fucked up someone just gave me this experience and now yeah. I can't go back like I can't just go back to like regular life anymore so that was like that moment was like you were hell bent on it what what did you want to do kind kind of before that like were you just kind of yeah, I mean, like, back in, like, you know, I always wanted to do music, but, like, I definitely wasn't, like, I didn't have any sense of, like, how much work that would require or, like, you know, what would even go into, like, just becoming a successful musician. So, like, I would say my teacher, Paul Green, that I went to school with, like, he was, I think, the person, like, really, like, maybe understand. He had a very, like, unorthodox way of teaching. Like, have you seen, like, movie, like, Whiplash? It's people... Mm. No, okay. Can't he, say I have. He was kind of like a like a minor version of like that dude. Like this movie's about it's about like this jazz student who's going to this like music conservatory, and he has this crazy ass teacher who will like just beat him up and like throw symbols and he doesn't know songs. Damn. You know, like, actually, and like he he basically like just gets into the brain of this kid and like makes him so traumatized, mm -hmm. like forced him to become like really really good. And uh, that's kind of like a really extreme version of what my teacher Paul would do. Like, basically, he would just give you all this material to learn. And if you didn't show up, like, ready to play it, like, on the spot, like, you were just going to get, like, either scolded. There was, like, you know, there's honestly, like, a lot of things that he did that, like, were for sure illegal. That if he wasn't just, like, teaching, using, like, giving kids, like, good shit to do, I'm sure, like, parents would have sued him for, like, 100%. Like, there's there's Damn. certain things. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to incriminate this man yeah. right now. But, yeah, like, he did do a lot <laughs> of, like, kind of crazy things. And there are some kids I know who, like, went through that school who, like, nowadays, like, don't like him for that because, like, you know, he gave people a lot of stress. And me personally, like, when I was in 10th grade, it was, like, this one period where I just, like, no matter what I did, he would always just, like, go the fuck off on me at rehearsals. And I started to, like, really not like music, and it made me, like, really, like, depressed for a while because I was, like, mm -hmm. what I wanted to do in my life was no longer fun, like, yeah. playing guitar. And, uh, 
But the thing about him was like him going so hard on people and like so hard on me just throughout that school really like put in my brain like you cannot play. Like if you're going to like do music, if you don't like, you know, quote unquote, like show up to every like rehearsal knowing all the notes, like you're fucked. So like that was like just the mentality that I kind of grew into is like I must like always be working to try and like, you know, further myself in this or else like someone else will just take your place. So I think even though I always knew I wanted to do music, I have to credit him for like giving me like the drive to actually like pursue it and like know what I had to do. Because without him, like I'm sure I would just like kept like playing video games and shit. Just like doing, you know, just like kick yeah. shit. So what I'm getting is you really didn't before music, you really didn't really know what you really wanted to do with your life. It was yeah. kinda like always oh, you want to do music. This dude kind of like discouraged you a little bit, and then stepping on stage like you were talking about was kind of like the re spark of. Yeah, it was okay. like I always wanted to do it exactly. Said, so then he kind of discouraged me, but then through discouraging me, it also made me really hungry to like just get yeah. back at him. Like he, I, he, I mean, I started to like to hate this guy so much that like because I would just show up and just get like fucked on every time. That it also like really made me like get angry and like get really emotional with my playing and just like start taking it like way more seriously. So yeah, it was like going to that stage like really like put the nail in the coffin. But almost even before that, it was like this man just like embarrassing me like every you know few days for like just years on end. Really like almost motivated me to just like in like a form of revenge or some shit like just get really good, so I wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. And then through that. I got to go to that stage in Europe, and that just, like, put in yeah. my head, like, I got to do this. Okay. So, early on, what were you listening to? Because n- most of the time, before people start really playing and trying to pursue music, they're inspired by somebody. Mm-hmm. So, what did you hear that kind of made you be like, okay, I want to try this myself? Yeah, I mean, like, so back like, in, like, the days of just, like, just playing guitar, I was really heavy into hardcore punk, just, like, classic metal, thrash metal. Like, certain bands like Slayer, King Crimson, King Diamond, Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys. Just, like, I like I, I love the, like, just the 80s. The 80s, I think, has, like, some of the best music. It's, like, I think rock music is, like, very overlooked nowadays, and I understand why. Because, you know, just, like, rap, I do think better, like, makes sense in just, like, the current world we live in. Yeah. But, um, a lot of rock music, like, especially just, like, super loud mosh pit heavy shit. And then... I didn't get into rap till I was like a freshman in high school. I kind of, I was like low key that kid growing up where like I would just like, I had this weird sense in my head where like I would be in my friend's car and I was like, like six or seven years old and like Katy Perry would be on or some shit. And I would just like think that's rap or some shit. So I, I just went through like a lot of my life like never giving rap a chance because yeah. I always thought it was just like pop music and shit. And then uh, I was like a camp counselor one summer. This was like right when Good Kid Mad City came out and like Yeezus. So I'm kind of late to the game, honestly. But I heard those albums from my campers and instantly was like, yo, this shit's crazy. And then I went home and started just like getting into rap. And then from that place, I started finding out about, I never even really got into like the SoundCloud scene. I was more interested in just like more mainstream shit like Childish Gambino at the time, Kendrick, Kanye, you know, old school rap like Nas and Wu-Tang. And then eventually I want to say when I was like a senior in high school, even maybe one year prior, I heard Scum Gang, like the OG Scum Gang, like Zillakami, Takashi Six Nine, all like those bats, like really back in the day. And that was like the first like real like hard shit I ever heard in my life, and that shit blew my mind. And uh, I went and started making beats like a year or two later. But when I went in and started like making beats, I definitely knew it right right out the gate. I wanted to make like more just like crazy freaky shit as opposed to just like focus on like a mainstream sound or like a more like smooth sound. Like right out the like, 
even though lately I've definitely been focusing more on like just doing more shit like boom bap and like just rock beats and whatever. When I got into beat making, I was definitely trying to just like make like the hardest beats I could possibly make. That was like the goal right at the beginning. Damn, so that's so crazy. Would you say like 80s rock kind of gave you the, the guitar influence and like the scum game shit kind of gave you the shit with like the heavy 808s and that's where you kind of like Okay, when the when yeah, the when to go sound like, essentially. I literally heard Scum Gang like at a rehearsal for like a Metallica show that I was doing like back in like this. It wasn't actually Metallica. It was like a, a Metallica cover show that I was doing like back in like the School of Music. I was like in Metallica rehearsal, just hearing like just droning guitar riffs, and my friend plays me Scum Gang, and in that moment, just like the two together, I was like, this is sick as fuck. Like just this energy, like this is the type of energy I want to go for. It's just like super so, loud, vicious shit. So that that show. Kind of hearing those two genres of music kind of like just kind of sparked it. Yeah, like I, I think that um, just metal and like genres like punk, just anything that's like super loud and like you can just mosh to. I find that just like there's like very little experiences in the world besides just like a mosh pit. It's one of the most like pure like feelings when you're just like in this big crowd of people and there's just people just slamming into each other. Yeah. Like, it's so, it just like doesn't make any sense, but that, that's like the point. It's just like this massive chaotic thing. And for some reason, like, I find that in life, there are so few moments of just, like, pure chaos like that, that I just gravitate towards that, because that's, like, the coolest shit to me, is, like, just things that people, like, just, you know, aggressive and, like, hyped up. That's, like, that's rare. And when I see that happen, it, like, it just inspires me a lot more. Damn, that makes sense. Do you think mosh pits are, like, a lot of people, like, don't understand mosh yeah, pits? Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, definitely. heavily? Like, there's actually, people don't understand, there's actually, like, rules to fucking moshing. Like, people don't understand. Facts. It's actually a very organized, like, nobody wants anybody to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Like, Especially at rap shows. Like, here in New York, um, there's a lot of, like, hardcore shows and rap shows that'll, like, happen together. Like, you'll go to, like, an underground show out here, and, like, a hardcore band will open up for a rapper or some shit, or vice versa. And uh, at a lot of those, the kids who come for the hardcore bands, when the mosh pits happen during those sets, the mosh pits are way better. And then, like, during rap shows. Because, yeah, I think people don't understand, like, that mosh pits, like we were saying, it, it is kind of like an art. Like, you know, yeah. there's certain things that you do. And now, granted, there have been some shows that I've gone to where it's not like this, but they're for much bigger artists like Suicide Boys and like Denzel Curry and shit. But, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of rap fans think a mosh pit's just, like, hitting people. But, no, it's like, there's, like, a rhythm to it. Like, yeah. you run in a circle and, like, you know, everybody's sort of, like, if someone falls over, you pick them up. Yeah, you like, pick them up. Somebody's yeah, hurt, you, you stop. You don't just, like, run in and just, like, smack someone in the face. That's not, that's not like, fun. That's, like, that's crowd killing. You yeah. Have, it's, like... A mosh pit's way more. It's not about like necessarily getting hurt as much as it is about just like loads of people just like doing some crazy ass shit. And like you know, getting hurt is a part of that. That's not like the focus of it. The focus of it is just like it's just to show love. It's just like to turn up. Basically, yeah. Like, slam and dancing a lot of and all, people you know? do. And a lot of people like I remember I threw my NASCAR show I threw on uh, 420 earlier this year. The people started moshing, of course, as expected. And security like jumps in there, and I'd get on the mic and be like, "Yo, security, they're just moshing." Like relax they're not fighting nobody's gonna get hurt like i gotta be explaining this to them it's like it's its own subculture it's very misunderstood mm -hmm. and it's just i think it's so interesting now how like you're starting to see moshing at like rap shows like you said it, you're gonna see more at like a hardcore show or like a punk show mm -hmm. but rap shows are slowly starting to get moshing integrated and i, I feel like that's just another um another example of how like cultures are just few fusing that's what kind of like the scene is today like you're getting like punk mixed with rap and then b 
beyond just sound, you're getting those two cultures kind of coming together. Yeah. And, like, I feel like Spider Gang is also a perfect example of that. Like, and you're, as a producer, a perfect example of that. Yeah, like, where that. you have a lot of the the guitars, like, the influence from, like, the 80s rock. And then, like, a lot of the Scum Gang, the heavy, dirty, 808 influence. And it's just, I don't know. It's beautiful to see. I like I like how, I like where music and culture is going. Yeah, it's like, um... Where I grew up in Woodstock, it's like that town. Like you ever like heard like, like the Woodstock Festival? Yeah. That's like it didn't go down in that town. That's like what it's named after. So it's like my town is a really small rural town. It's mostly older people, like four thousand heads of their total, and it's like a huge rock town. There's like lots of like just like rock stars who just live there. Like David Bowie used to live there before he died. Like a lot of the heads and bad brains live there. It's just like just random rock stars just around. And uh, growing up there was kind of interesting because like I'd have a lot of like people who are older that I, like I went to like play music with or shit. And when I played them a rap, they'd always say, like, oh, that's not music. You know, that has fucking sine waves and electronic drums. That can't be, yeah. like, that can't be music. But it's, like, I think when I started getting into rap, the reason why I started to like it, you know, like kind of like this was, like, the Yeezus era, was because I felt like rap was a continuation of rock. It's, like, when you go, yeah. like, what you're saying, it's, like, when you go to rap shows nowadays, mosh pits happen. It's, like, when you go to hardcore shows, mosh pits happen. Like, they're, they're, they're both, like, made very differently, but at, like, the very core of any type of music, really, period, like, rock and rap both accomplish a similar thing, which is just to make you feel good, make you, like, have a good time. So at the end of the day, it's, like, yes, they're made very differently, but to say, like, you know, to have someone say, like, rap isn't music or to have someone who's a rap fan say rock isn't music, like, they're both, I think, like, very interchangeable. They both just play into, like, very raw emotion. Rock's a genre. It was called the people genre back when it was big because, you know, you just need a guitar and, a, like, a singer. Rap's also, like, nowadays, all you need is a laptop. It's also the people genre. Like, they both come from very similar places. It's like the modern-day embodiment of that, basically. Yeah, exactly. I love how, like, rap is kind of, like, a SoundCloud rap, you could get very, very specific with it. It's kind of like the new embodiment of, like, punk music. No, no and doubt. And grunge music from, like, back in the late 80s early 90s type of shit yeah especially like the way it, like, it kind of spreads around like in the physical world too because yeah like on soundcloud it's the whole scene but then when you actually like, go to an underground rap show it's just like back in like the day when you go to like some backyard and much of like random local bands are there now it's just like local rappers producers are just there and yeah it's like it's the same thing just like different sounds which i think is ultimately like it's for because rock as a genre you know it has guitars bass vocals drums some pianos maybe that's what you're working with for the most part. Rap and like production and all that, you can work with any sound possible. So it's like it only makes sense that after, you know, 40, 50 years of rock being like the most dominant genre in the world, that something else would have to come from that and just yeah. like widen it. Hence most rap. definitely. Most definitely. And I think that is a high note and part one on. So thank you for tuning in so far. This is part one. We're here with Wendigo. It's called Classic Interview number 21. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at KULT Classic Official. Be sure to hit us on Twitter at KULT Classic OFF and check out our store, KULTClassic.com. Again, KULTClassic.com. Check us out, go cop some merch. Do all that. Playing yourself, because like down the line, like if you just keep tabs on like who else is gonna make shit that you like, that just opens up the doors like a lot of collaboration and just like you know looking out for recording the shit. Yeah, <laughs> not straight. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like it keeps you on the lookout for just like more stuff. Cause like say you're someone like fucking like Joji or some shit, and like you're not looking down at what's coming That's out right now. When the people who are coming out right now get to your size, you're not gonna know who they are. But like if you are someone who's up the top and you know what's coming out, you can sort of like 
get a, like a, a foresight. You can see ahead into the future. Like, all right, this person right here probably like about to be up. So why don't I, you know, if I like their music, now I can work with them. That helps my brand. That helps their brand. It helps everybody out just grow more. So it's like, you know, that's why you see heads like Kanye always just bringing in like really random heads you wouldn't expect. Like, you know, on Yeezus, for example, like Young Chop helped produce yeah. one of those songs. And like Travis Scott and shit. It's like, if Kanye... Yeah, you the camera? But. It's like... Uh, in situations like that, that's why I think Kanye remains such a visionary. Like all of his albums, as they come out, just keep progressing and progressing, and you know, still remaining so good over a long period. Is because not only is he such a talented artist, but also just like the people he brings around for every album is like always a new pool of people. It gets new voices, new perspectives that are always like younger, up and coming people. And that's why, even though he's you know one of like the oldest heads, big in rap right now, he can put out songs that like kids love, like ten year olds oh, yeah. and shit. Yeah, it's like it's like a. They got like a formula to staying relevant. Same thing with like Pharrell. Mm-hmm. They just they just adapt. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you are, that's that's why I think like if you're someone like if like say you're like a bass player, like a drummer or whatever, like in 2019, like you know you're playing rock music or something or jazz or whatever. I do think you should like just at some point learn something in rap, like learn how to make beats or learn how to rap, or learn how to mix vocals, because like you're just gonna like purely from a business level, regardless of artistic vision. That's where the business is at right now too. It's like if you want to make a career in oh, music, yeah. it's it's like it's crazy. Five years ago, ten years ago, like say like for someone like me, I'm a producer. Like ten years ago, making a career as a producer, pretty fucking difficult. Nowadays, if you just have some good shit and you're consistent, you could upload YouTube beats. You could just literally sit at your house, upload YouTube beats, and do that for like a year, and you might just like start living off it. Yeah, like realistically, like you were saying, like ten years ago, you'd have to put a demo together, spend like ten thousand dollars in equipment. Yeah, distribute it out go. in public, maybe like literally yeah. go out to other people. Now, it, like you know, even like you know, twenty years ago, it's like if you were like an upcoming artist, you had to get on MTV or get on the radio. You know, get like really like focused, concentrated things that are like hard to get so many artists. Nowadays, you can completely just make your own lane, just upload it to the internet. The internet is like. It's what like it's everything. the free. It's basically like the current like free market. Like back you yeah. know 100 200 years ago in America, you know you could probably sell shit way easier because there wasn't as much laws and surveillance and all that. Like it was like a free country. It was a true like you know frontier or whatever. That is how it is anymore. But on the internet, it still is. Like if you have a service, if you have a talent, a skill that you can provide, you could find a way to make enough money off it to live just like using your phone or your computer. Yeah, most definitely. The internet is really like what changed everything. Yeah, like, and it's a huge game changer. Culture. It's the, it's it's the biggest. It's the greatest and the worst thing realistically if you think about it. Yeah, it, like, it's humanity. like, it's like and people are still story. figuring it out to this day. Like you know, like the internet. I think I find it just fascinating because like the more people like you know, it's always been how it's been. Like it's not like the internet so it's like changed that much. Like you know, our technology's gotten better, but like the internet's always. Since it's been here, you can have always done the things that you could probably do nowadays. It's not like you, can't, you know how to program or like develop it or whatever. But like, so people are just like still learning. Like for instance, like you making YouTube beats and like living off that. That's the past few years. But like you know, in five years from now, kids might be making crazy money off like something even simpler. I mean, you know, there's kids like scamming. People are just like using the internet and like just using that to like find like PayPal accounts or like that to just like you know make money. Like that's the thing yeah. too. It's like you can literally just like make a living off of like just having like a little Wi-Fi router in your house. Basically. It's you all can you kind of just with imagination. Yeah, <laughs> you can kind of turn it into you turn that Wi-Fi router into anything. No, straight up, you can and do it's anything like anything with that Wi-Fi router. It's um, 
I, that's why I think if you're like a young person, you need to like capitalize on it because like a lot of people Most in definitely. the world, you know, I think a lot of people who didn't grow up with the internet don't really have a good sense of that. Like I just, I just encounter like when I go down, like I tell adults, I make YouTube beats for a living. They're just like, what does that mean? Like, what could that, like, that's not a thing, but it's like, no, actually like nowadays there are loads of things that actually like majority of the world has no idea about. So like this, is, if you're someone who has like an entrepreneurial instinct, this is the time to get online and just like make a business because right now there is enough technology in place to do it super easily and not that many heads are doing it yet. So like go do it. Oh, that's facts. That's facts. And it's crazy how like YouTube after all this time, YouTube was like started what like oh six or something. Yeah, like it's that. probably like almost 15 years old at this point is still the most relevant social media platform. Yeah, basically still mm -hmm. it's more it's the most relevant like i don't know they just got they just got everything down like people we yeah. don't even our generation like youtube hulu and netflix has a lot to do with it like that type of shit too but youtube is the reason why like our generation is gonna fucking kill cable yeah well youtube <laughs> is like i do think that this is a conversation i've had with a lot of people before it's like youtube is the most interesting one for a very like certain reason like you have facebook and instagram and like soundcloud and shit and those are all good platforms for you know putting out things about you or whatever but youtube has one thing going for it that no other platform has that makes it like the most relevant for running a business and that's the youtube algorithm because like you know on soundcloud you could upload like millions of songs and that might not change anything like that yeah. it might work for you it might not but on youtube like literally like say you upload like you have 10 subscribers and you just upload a million videos and like you know they get like a play or two on each of them that's two million plays that get put into like your like cash is what it's called it's like as a profile as your videos get promoted the more plays the more watch time on them the more they're promoted so it's like unlike soundcloud where like you have to just like purely be like off skill and promotion youtube literally will promote your shit for you like you can literally just upload a video no one watches it up another video, you get one play. Another one, you get two plays. And that will just snowball until eventually you're getting like hundreds of thousands of plays for just like uploading videos. It's the only platform that actually just rewards you for the true output of your content. So like if you are like a rapper, producer, musician, just like a visual artist, a makeup person, whatever, like any kind of like content that can be viewed like in a, you know, like a video format, it's like OP. YouTube is yeah. like, it's like too good. It's actually like, it's a cheat code, I would call it. Like almost, it's so good for like marketing and just like becoming a bigger brand because literally the actual platform is like working to make you bigger. It's designed that to do sense. that. Yeah, that's perfect. Are you consistent on YouTube? Yeah, I, I upload beats, uh, one beat every day. That's how I make my living. I just upload YouTube beats. Damn, one beat every, one beat every day. Are you yeah. like very like strict to that too like, yeah like 1 p.m every day one beat generally i'll have you know i'll have some days where i wake up at like 1 p.m i was like mad drunk the night before or some shit it's like all right i'm just not gonna do it today or whatever or just like i'll put it like dummy late but like nah i feel like because that's the thing about it it's like that's the only thing i have to do i just have to be like strict to like how i upload and i can just like eat and pay my rent off beats it's like might as well yeah definitely it's like you know you can have like a nine to five job or you could just like sell a beat for 50 bucks and make an entire day's worth of pay off like an hour of work of making a beat. So how many beats do you make a day? Um, you know, it varies. Like there are some heads I know who will make like, you know, 30 beats a day. Like, I'm not really on that. I'll make like one beat to like three beats every day. You know, it kind of depends on like what mood I'm in. But um, you know, cause there are some producers out there who will tell you like you have to just make like a shitload of beats every day if you want to like get on. I don't agree with that. I actually kind of think like 
there is no amount like i think just however your brain works like you should just make that many like also you know if you want to make really simple beats it's really easy to make like 10 a day but oh, if you yeah. want to go really in depth like making 10 super in-depth complicated beats every day you'll go fucking crazy so you should just like whatever you're trying to go for i think you should just have like an appropriate amount of time spent on it like i mean i don't know the music that i'd be making with like darky and dillinger is definitely like way more just like on the spot like on the fly music so I would say, like, for between the three of us, you know, we'll spend, like, like say, me and Dillinger, like, an entire Christ Dillinger song that I produce, for example, I'll spend, like, an hour on that beat, record it in, like, 20 minutes, mix it in, like, 25, 30. So, you know, it's, like, it's like two hours of work about for, like, one song. Something like Dark, it takes longer. But, you know, I think it's, like, just whatever you're going for, it's, like, just do whatever you need to do for that. Word. So... How long have you been uploading beats to YouTube? And I've been it doing consistent. I've been doing it. So I've had actually like I've had two different channels. I had my first channel that I started, that was um, I ran that for like since I'm gonna say August 2017 to like maybe three or four months ago, and then that channel got shut down because it got copyrighted claimed by just some random person. And so I started oh, a new channel like four months ago. So I've been doing it consistently for like almost two years now. Okay. Okay. When did you start to see it pick up? Uh, it, it took a little while. Like, I I started out just, like, I didn't start making really any money off it. Granted, I was uploading only free beats. You know, like the first six months, I didn't really make any money off it. You know, I'd make, like, 50 or 100 bucks, like, in a given month. Like, you know, a few sales here and there. I would say that was also back then I was just uploading, like, maybe one every other day. Or, like, maybe, like, three on a Monday, and then it's, like, nothing the rest of the week. I didn't start doing them every day until, like, maybe a year ago. And a year ago is when I started picking it. I started doing it every day. So that everyday shit is kind of really what started. I think that really, year. honestly, like, is, like, the move. Because because YouTube has that algorithm. So it's, like, say you only have, like, 10 subs, but you're getting 10 views a day. That will, like, eventually, yeah. that will add up. Like, it'll start getting to where, you know, you might have, like, 10,000 total views. And even though you're only getting 10 plays on the video... That ten thousand total views will like play in your advantage, like later down the line, like that will just like help, and that will just compound over and over again until eventually you're just like getting like you know thousands of plays. And those videos. beats continue to get views too, like yeah, exactly. So they're going to continue to build because they're up. just out there. And as you get more popular as a producer, people go back to your old beats. Yeah, and um, also like YouTube production, like there is very much like other things you can do as well, like to just like get more views, like yeah, not, without even like doing anything cheap, like buying plays. There's like certain like. For instance, like my friend Salsa, Salsa, I like I noticed like back when I first started like doing YouTube beats, he already had like a pretty good sized channel, like four thousand subscribers, and uh, he had a really big bump in his channel like a year and a half ago, a year ago, because he started uploading a lot of like Sheck West type beats, like right before Mobamba blew up, and that song blew up, and then suddenly like he had all, like because you know there's not that many heads making YouTube beats like in the world, you know, there's like maybe a few thousand like consistently uploading YouTube beats, so it's like. If you find the artist who's not entirely up yet and just like spam the market with their type beats before they're up, when that artist is up, guarantee you're about to start getting way more traction. Like for me, I opened like one of the first Brockhampton type beats like two years ago. And this is back when I had like, you know, 30 subs. That video got like 10,000 plays when it first came out like on a 30 sub channel just because like they would then blow up like a month later. Mm -hmm. And then just, it was like, one of the only ones that was out at the time. So you can like really catch certain artists like before they blow up, you're gonna get like a huge response in return for that. So there's a lot of things you can do as a YouTube producer that are just like, just keep your eyes out for like how you market your videos. Like what artists are you making tight beats of? You know, cause also like a lot of people don't really like make tight beats. They'll just like make beats and then put titles on them. Yeah. So it's like, in fact, like I was kind of guilty of this for a while. I would just make beats 
and just put titles in like completely randomly. You don't think you should have a balance to that though? Yeah, you know, like I mean, I don't know. It's like if if you're trying to like emulate an artist, another artist as your style of production, then sure. But I think if you're if you're just producing just like whatever you want, but you're making tight beats, you know, try to base what you're titling them as and kind of what you think it would be. But it's like I don't necessarily think you have to like try to make tight beats as a producer. I think as yeah. a, you know, as and it's probably other topic that we can get into like maybe later. It's like if you're a producer trying to get placements, there is certain things you can do as well that are gonna be good for getting you placements. It's like in terms of what beats you're making and shit. But um you don't necessarily have to like adhere to anything. You can just like make a beat that like, you know, just you know, you just make a beat, you're uploading it, you listen to it, you're like, all right, this is kinda like an injury type beat. Like, you know, maybe they'd hit it be like this. Make that the title. Just like go for it because yeah. like you know you might never know like people might hear it. I used to get a lot of comments when I first started that like, people being like yo this is not what you're saying it is. Like I would get a lot of comments on because I was just doing it like totally like just like up artists that I liked, but like who like what it sounded like. Nowadays I just do it almost all Spider Gang heads just type beats and just like random shit like Donald Trump type beat. I just kind of <laughs> got bored of like making them like actually like titled in like, yeah. a regular way. But um yeah like the titles of your beats and the tags that you put in your beats like really also help. Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah. How important are the tags? I can't give you an exact metric, but I know, like, for me, I, I got my newest channel. That I, I started, like, you know, a few months ago. I probably put, like, 50 tags on all my videos, and I was able to get that channel up from, like, zero to, like, 1,000 subs in, like, five months. As opposed to, like, my first channel, where I didn't really put many tags on. Now it's, like, like you know, 1,000 subs is probably, like, a whole last year of just, like, or maybe even long, like, a year and a half. Okay, damn. So, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you exactly, but they're probably pretty important. I would say they are. So you would say the majority of your traction as a producer kind of came from YouTube, kind sales of. wise. Yes, yeah, definitely revenue if we're, wise. If we're forgetting about the Spider Game shit. Yeah. Oh, but also YouTube is how I like met a lot of those heads. Like uh, Stone Man, when I first started producing him, like he was like using my YouTube beats. That's how I found out about him because like, he used one of my beats off YouTube, and I heard the song and I liked it. So it's mm-hmm. like if I and then if I hadn't met him, you know, I wouldn't have met Brumman and the Darky and yada yada yada. Spider Gang actually wouldn't have happened. So yeah, YouTube beats are are sort of responsible for that in a weird way. Damn, that's that's so crazy. So like beyond the YouTube beats, the one a day, the consistent, the consistency, you know, working the algorithm and stuff. Spider Gang and working with Darky and stuff really kind of was the biggest boost to yeah your career that's been a much bigger m- boost for yeah like my actual like name yeah like the, like in terms of business probably too but yeah youtube beats is way more like how i've paid my bills but mm-hmm. yeah for just like getting my name out there and like just you know actually like, doing work that i find like much more fulfilling like working with other artists yeah because like sorry to anybody's body beat off me from youtube i've heard lots of beats off my people who have bought them off my youtube i've heard like one i like <laughs> like, like you know, it's just like yeah. like working with someone like Darky or someone like Christ Dillinger, like all these other Spider Gang heads. Like working with them is just like millions times more fulfilling than just like yeah. uploading YouTube beats and just selling them to random heads. Like I, I would much if it could be, I would, I wouldn't even upload YouTube beats. I would just work with the homies and just like make a living doing that. But for now, it's just like the way I make a living, so that's what I'm gonna continue doing. But um, yeah, for just like. For monetary reasons, that's why I think it's ultimately a good thing. Because, like, there are some people I know who, like, get, like, very attached to their beats. So, like, they don't want to upload YouTube beats because it's, like, I'm oh, guilty I'm, of that. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> you know I don't, I don't want to, like, give it to some random head. And it's, like, I saw a, uh, a Zaytoven interview, like, a few years ago that kind of, like, stuck with me. Where he was just talking about, like, when you are early in the production game, like, before you were, like, very up. 
don't even worry about it. Like you're gonna make so many beats before like you're even like really where you need to be as a producer that like you should just stand there just give them out. Cause like also heel, I started talking with heel like a year ago. One thing that heel told me was like um, you know, say you're an artist and you put out like a billion songs, but only like two people hear each one of them. That's still two billion heads who have heard your music. So it's like just getting people to hop on your beats in like the early stages of your like your growth as a producer is way more important than like just you know reserving beats for really good heads because you at the beginning you have to just get your name somewhere it's like you have to just find someone to even hit you that's that's the hard then they're the hardest part of being like a producer like in terms of like the lifetime i'd say it's like the right at the beginning when no one fucks with you and like you have to just like really work hard to get placements yeah. that's the most difficult period that's where you're gonna get like the most frustrated once you start like getting the ball rolling with like like you know people coming up and shit it's when it gets easy. Then you're getting too many placements type shit. Like as soon as like you get to a certain level, then start being like, okay, now I'm gonna pull back a bit and like maybe not give out so much. But early on, I think you should really just like just be a whore with it. Just throw <laughs> your beats all around like everywhere. Just fuck it. Every be Oprah with the beats. Yeah, and no, it's just <laughs> yeah. You just, get a beat. Yeah, you straight get a up. Beat. You get a beat. <laughs> but um, would you say like? Because you, you linked up with Darky and Spider Gang and really became one of the people who created that core sound. Would you say, aside from being consistent with YouTube, because there is like, like you said, there might only be a few thousand people doing it, but it's still some tough competition. Sure, yeah. There's some, there's some really good heads making YouTube beats. Like, like, you Absolutely. Know, like everybody in Spider Gang who's a producer, except Corpse and Janaskis and Brumman God. So actually just me, Salsa, and Cubensis all do YouTube beats. So you're gonna have to compete with us as long as with, with just crazy good people like fucking you know Matthias Steiner and like you know like the really big heads on YouTube who like you know like because that's also things like you got people like just like making like niche beats which are more like you know people who have like a few thousand subs who mm-hmm. still make a living off it because like they're niche where like they you know they can get their audience going but then you also have like cash money APs who just become like actual like giant YouTubers like he's probably got like almost like a million subscribers yeah so it's, definitely like, he doesn't even I don't even like he makes all those beats free. He just makes he just gets ad revenue. Like he literally makes a living just off of like just so many people watch his videos that he gets like just big ass ad check every month. So it's like, yeah, there is there is competition, but I but I do think like as long as you're consistent and you have good quality music to bring to the table, because the YouTube algorithm is there, as long as you just keep doing it, like you will break through eventually. It's just go going beyond that, would you say because yeah, there is the competition is so thick. The key to probably longevity wise and really breaking through with this shit is really coming up with the artists like you're coming up with people like darky mm. dillinger and the whole rest of spider gang would you say that that's really like a a big step to kind of differentiating yourself from just a regular internet oh producer? definitely because like for um you know like i said like, like youtube you can make a living off youtube but like you know, there also are lots of big producers on YouTube that I've noticed who will like make tutorial videos. There are just guys who just make beats and film themselves doing it, who will have like hundreds of thousands of subs and shit. But then when you actually hear what's going on in the rap world, like they're not getting placements and shit, because um, yeah, what you're saying is true. It's like coming up with an artist, even if you're not getting paid, is actually like much more beneficial to like you know your fight your business side and also just like your brand because like. Yeah, if, if I was working with someone like Darky, then I would just be a YouTube producer. But it's like, working with someone like Darky, you actually have somebody who's like really good hopping on your beats and then taking those beats and giving them like much more like depth and like layers yeah. to them. Because like, 
a beat on YouTube is just a beat on YouTube. But when some like when you have a really good artist hit that beat, that then becomes a song, and then it you know it becomes like a whole new thing that can be shared much more easily. So it's like, yeah, like having if you're a new producer, yeah, like I think um I saw Icy Twat tweeted one time. He was like, if you're an artist, like you deserve to have like one core producer that you just work with. Like, I agree. Like I think if you're a rapper or you're a producer, you deserve to have one person of the opposite end to just work with and come up with because like that's ultimately how you're gonna make progress yeah you guys kind of like teaming up making progress together yeah because you know you, like like i said you know you can have hundreds of thousands of subs on youtube you know making beats for videos and you know people really like your beats but those guys are not the guys you're hearing on the radio those yeah. guys are not the guys that you're hearing on soundcloud you're seeing in the interviews you're seeing them on youtube you're seeing them in their videos like in their remaking beats yeah. you know and that's that's cool they can do their thing but it's like if your goal is like to become a big producer and your goal you know you want to make really good music and like you know yeah. make a career in music yeah you're gonna need some help and that's all branding yeah you're gonna need some help for sure like you're branding yourself with darky like the whole spider gang and i'm assuming that the the wendigo is that kind of like your logo type of yeah deal? Dark, is this that... is just how darky just draws me like it's just like yeah i think um I guess the first time I got drawn was uh, we made a song called Spirits like a bit over a year ago. Me, Darky, this guy Stan Lee, and a guy Isaiah Malik, and uh, we just made that song. And on the cover, Darky just like drew me as this character, and then just kind of stuck. And you know, like just like with Darky's character, Darky like all the all the heads Darky works that just like have characters because it just it, he has his little universe. So yeah, like for me, just being like a big part of that universe. Yeah, actually, kind of is my logo at this point. Sure. Yeah, and th- and that kind of goes back to like branding again mm. you're, you're branding yourself that people have a, a visual for what wendigo is people have a, a specific sound for wendigo is wendigo is works with these specific artists you're branding yourself to take yourself to the next level as a producer as to being someone just like a youtube beat maker which is cool you can make some money doing it and there's some great ones but then you have people like sony digital yeah cash money ap Sino. Uh, Zaytoven, you know mm. what I mean? People who have mur- murder beats at this point. Mm. People who have Metro Boomin is probably the biggest one out right now. Goddamn, mm. like who are bi- a lot? A lot of these producers are bigger than artists. Yes, yeah. of their branding, like they branded themselves to become bigger than just your run-of-the-mill regular producer. And that, and in that sense, that opens up swing more opportunities for you. You can do more than just YouTube beats because you are Wendigo. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not just a regular. You're not the Wendigo, the YouTube producer. Yeah, exactly. You're Wendigo, the beat maker. You're Wendigo. Yeah, that, person, that's why it's so important image, to do what you're you know saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. You branded yourself and you networked yourself correctly, and I think that's that's the key that a lot of producers are missing. They're just kind of like you said, sitting in the room, posting videos of themselves making beats and wondering why it's not going nowhere. Mm-hmm. They're not branding themselves correctly. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to even like outside of making beats, because there's also like definitely within just like I came from you know the rock world, and in the rock world like there's stigmas about you know who plays what. Like if you're the singer, you're getting all the pussy. If you're the guitar player, <laughs> yeah. you're also probably getting a lot of the pussy. But like if you're the drummer or the bass player, you're not getting too much pussy. So it's like 
you know, within every like genre music, there's, there's roles and shit, and those all have like little stigmas. So it's like within rap, what I tend to notice is like rappers are oftentimes way more like hustlers. Like rappers actually go out and they put on like an image, and you know, they they're characters. Like a lot of the biggest rappers right now are big, not just because of like their music, but like also just their personality and like who people like them. Like people like Kanye or Drake or Jay Z. Like those guys are all talented. But they also all know how to go out and like just get people to fuck with them because they just put on, they put on whatever they put on, or they just are however they, they are. They are who they are. Yeah, exactly. They're so it's characters. Like, exactly. So it's like if you're, you know, something like Metro it's like pro Boomin, wrestling. Yeah. So it's great. It's, it's like <laughs> it's just like uh, with production. There's so many producers who just like sit or just like shy. Like they just make their beats and they introverts. Don't, like, they don't take. Most definitely. You know, they don't. Yeah, like even beyond that, like, not they're just like introverts. They're just like they're shy of like they. I think a lot of producers just like don't think they can like because rap has oftentimes like not really been producer focused. Even though when it first started out, it was producer focused. Like people just I don't know. There's like this weird thing where producers are just like yeah, they're just shy like in their room like making the beats and then like you know like when their artists they're producing for are on stage they're just like not there. So that's why you have heads like Murdo or like Metro Boomer like Kenny Beats right now. They're really big because Kenny B, like, some, like I think Kenny's actually like a really good example. Like one of the best examples right now is because that dude, he makes good beats. But besides making good beats, he has a YouTube show. He goes on like he talks on his Instagram live all the time. Like he's just like very vocal in the community. And even if you don't like agree with what he's saying or what he's doing, like you're just gonna hear his voice like way more than someone like you know. Like Frank Dukes, who's a guy who like has produced some of the biggest songs like that have come out in the past like five years, yeah. but no one knows who he is because he's just like really quiet. So it's like, yeah, like just being like just more like uncomfortable, like being allowed to like allow yourself to just like go out of your comfort zone and just like go to shows, go on like you know interviews, just do shit like that. If you're a producer, like that's also like a huge part of how you brand yourself. It's all networking. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like, that's, that's half like, the game. Yeah, that's that's how people become like famous. Is because you can have your talents and your skills. But if people can't relate to what you're doing, you're just gonna like be a virtuoso who's like never gets anywhere. That's why you see like, you see heads like with like guitar playing, for instance. You'll find people who are like insanely good at guitar. Like, like where I'm from, like out in the woods, you'll go be in Woodstock, you'll just drive down some random road, like in the middle of the woods, and you'll just like hear the most beautiful shredding. Just the most crazy solo coming out of some guy's house. And like, as, as cool as that is, that dude has a much lower chance of getting successful because they're not going to go out of their house. They're just in their house playing really good. Like, so, and also, just because you're really good is making you relatable. Like, there are lots of artists, like, you know, within, like, with the rock world, like, guys like Steve Vai and shit who are <clears throat> undeniably some of, the, like, the best guitar players ever, but who never, but who won't get considered the best guitar players ever because has, like, Jimmy and Eddie Van Halen were way more in your face about it. That's, yeah. that's the part of music. Like, that's a part of just, like, entertainment business even is, like, you have to also be a face people to relate to and enjoy. Like, you're, you're basically, like, a lot of people, when you find, like, people get attached to artists, it's not just because the music's so great. It's because, like, you feel like you know them. Like, with all, especially with a lot of rappers. There's like a lot of rappers that, like, have had fan bases that become, like, insane like extra little people like well when they die you know that like the fans are just like completely distraught and that's not just because they're making great music it's also because those people were like voices for those like the, for the fans they like represented what the fans were about yeah they really went to the next level and really connected with them mm-hmm. so we're gonna end we're gonna hold that thought that that's gonna be a good way to jump into part three part three coming up right now shout out to when i go call classic interview come 
Call classic video interview that out. <laughs> Let's cut that out. <laughs> yeah, that Darkie interview, like I feel like so many That shit is so fucking so many had to come in and be like, yeah, and no, I didn't like listen to Darkie, I was like just watching you the just whole time. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Oh, she was so bright, bro. Yeah. That just made it ten times more legendary. Realistically. That was already some, like, legendary shit. Yeah. Like, some shit that's gonna be, like, looked back on in the future, and that just, like, made it ten times better. <laughs> <laughs> the people were asking me just, like, what were you on? I was like, nothing. I was totally sober during that. Because <laughs> I, like, I was, like, during the interview, like, I was trying not to watch you because I knew I wasn't gonna laugh, but, like, I was, like, excited to go back and, like, watch yeah. it again just to see all the shit you did. I love that you were just like rocking back and forth, tweaking on the chair. You're just like smoking leaves out of a straw and shit. <laughs> People actually thought you were smoking weed. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, he's smoking the blunt and even pass it. <laughs> but he's smoking leaf, literally fonto leaf out of a straw. <laughs> no, I got like. I got like 15 different DMs. I'm really like, what the fuck were you on during that? Like, were you off a of perk? And I was just like, nah, I don't do perks. <laughs> she was fucking That's, that's reserved for Booby Holiday. <laughs> yeah. Alright, this is part three. We are part back three. with Wendigo. Yes, with the Bobby D on the beat. So, walk me through the process of how you make a Wendigo beat. Alright, first step, you get really fucking high. Really fucking like, high? How fucking high? I'm talking, like, so high that if, like, you're not making the beat, you're just going to be jumping around the room, like, spaz and, like, too high damn near. So, first, you get really high. Actually, okay, that's the first step, but sometimes you could substitute that with an even further first step, which is just listen to, you know, have a nice, light listening to music session. Listen to some, some shit you never heard okay, before. Get a little warm-up. Yeah, just, you know, listen. I like to find... It's inspiration? Yeah, you know, like, um... I sample a lot, so I'll maybe spend some time just like looking through music on YouTube, just like looking for samples, um, or just listening to shit, just like trying to you know hear what other heads are doing. Especially like I think, not even like within rap, more just like electronic or like rock or whatever. Just like just listening to just to warm you up, exactly what you said. And then uh, in terms of actually making the beat, I don't think I really have like a very set process like. I'll usually like just start with like a melody, like I'll like play guitar, or, like just record a melody like with some synths or use make a sample. And then I'll usually go to the drums of the eight oh eight. But I'd say like, really the most important part of like for me making the beat that I find is just actually like arranging the beat itself. Like, um I know some heads who will like make beats where they just like make like, a little eight bar loop and they'll just like, you know, make all the tracks in it and then just like lay it out. I'll do that sometimes too. That's like completely valid. But I like to like kind of just start out like right in the intro and just like make the beat as you go. Like just start like just make the intro and then just like as soon as that's done, then like go to another area and like make it the verse and then just do like just kind of go piece by piece till it's done. So I, I think I spend the most time just like editing like the beat once it's done. Like I don't spend too much time on like the drums or the bass or like the samples. You know, I'll, I'll get what I want. The most time I spend is just like adding in little dropouts and like you know things like just like little things that happen like little like, bells and whistles yeah exactly i think that um a lot of people don't really play on that enough like there's like lots of producers all here like when you hear their beats and songs the beat just starts playing and it just goes till it ends like i feel like especially like the kind of world of like more hard music like the initial drop on a beat like say you have a song like like take a step back that song 
when that song comes in with just the hi-hats and you have like X and Ski just like talking and just kind of like getting ready to go in, when that first 808 hits in that beat, that's going to be the hardest that beat hits unless you put in another section to create another drop. Like, um, sim like just like having like space in the beat, you know, just like for timing and all that. That's the most important thing. It's like how your beat plays out because like if you have a really hard beat that just plays a loop over and over again, like it'll be hard by the end. But when that beat first hits is the hardest it's going to be because your ears aren't ready for that. So it's like, I think the most important part about making like a beat. It's kind of like a first impression. Yeah, it's like the most important part about like making a beat is like just making it so like as the beat goes on, it like it evolves and just like keeps, you know, dropping over and over again to the point where like, you know, by the end of the beat, it's still hitting as hard as like the beginning of the beat when you first heard it drop. So I think I'll, I'll spend the most time on that. Just, you know, like what I'll do is like every like two to four bars on a, any given beat, you know, I'll just like take out most of the tracks, have like the 808 do some weird thing right here to have the drums just hit like a clap or the sample do something, you know, just like little like dropouts. So that like everything can like breathe for a second and then just like clap really hard again as soon as it hits again. That's the most important part, I think. Arranging of the beat and you see yeah, like the overall way it flows is gonna get people to like respect the beat more because you know like, there's a lot of really great songs where the beats are like really simple and i think like simple beats have a really really important place within rap because i think like simpler beats are much easier for rappers to hit for a lot of the heads that i work with though like they don't like they're not really like looking for that so much but like darky and shit are like they're way more interested in like more complicated beats so like i'm focused more on that and in that world yeah you want to if you're gonna make a more complicated beat you have to make sure that like the way it flows is very organic or else like it's not going to work out so yeah the arrangement's the most important part and i'll spend like you know like an hour on a beat so maybe like 25 minutes like just you know making all like the sounds and then just like the last like 35 minutes just like arranging and putting it together man so it's like <coughs> God damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> so fucking, it's not really that long of a process. It just all starts with a little bit of weed. Yeah, I, I would say like you know, I don't like I, I don't want to make it seem like you have to be high to make beats because like you know there are some heads I know who like they actually do. Like I do know some artists that I've been in like you know positions before where like they can't do anything because like they're just not fucked up. And I think if you if you as an artist get to a level where you can't work without being high or drunk, like you actually really need to take a step back because at some point you're not going to always have that around. It's like you have to be able to work at any point. But I definitely think as uh, Earl Sweatshirt once said, there's nothing more fun than just getting high and playing with some sounds. So like that's true. So you know, like I, for me like personally, so like I, I do like using weed. To, like I do like smoking weed when I make beats because I do think it just like makes it more fun. But it, it's not necessarily essential. But I do think a big part about having like a good beat is having fun when you make the beat. Like if you're not enjoying making the beat, it's probably not gonna be very good. So do you fit? Ooh. Fuck! I just lost my train of thought. That weed, that weed fucking hit me so <laughs> the Charlotte hard. be hitting. The, the Charlotte hit Charlotte you like a weed train. hit me like a fucking train. I feel like it's the it's the New York weed. Is this a mixture right here? No, I feel, I feel like it's the New York weed like creeping up on me. It could be that. It might take like a few hours because we got we got some like shit weed moving. in Charlotte, but the weed up north, bro, is so much better, and the shit just creeps up on you and like smacks you. So I feel like that shit's just creeping up on me right now. We got a whole nother interview to do after this. Indeed. Fuck Plenty you. more weed to smoke. <laughs> Plenty more weed to smoke. What um what advice do you have to up and coming producers? Producers who are kinda having trouble getting to that next level. I'll say the biggest thing you just have to do is like just be ballsy. 
Like, I know lots of people who are just, like, afraid. I don't know why. But people are just, like, afraid of, like, reaching out or afraid of just, like, putting themselves out there. I think it just comes down to, like, when you're just early on, like, you're just, maybe your self-confidence isn't there yet. But I would say as a producer, just, like, the biggest thing you can do in the early steps of, like, you establishing yourself is just, like, kind of being, like, a hunter. Like, go on SoundCloud. Find some artists you like. Go into all of their following lists. Listen to everyone you can. Find all these heads on the platform. Go on YouTube, find shit. Go on Instagram and find people. And just, like, listen to shit. Just find other up-and-coming artists that, like, you could possibly work with. And just get, like, a perspective on all of them. And then eventually, like, once you have your perspective going, you know, just hit people up. Like, send beats. See, there's a lot of people I know. This is, like, some dumb shit that producers do a lot. I know lots of producers who will complain. They'll be like, oh, I sent so-and-so beats, and they didn't hit any of them. Like, I don't fuck with that dude anymore. Why? Like, if you send some guy some beats, and they don't fuck with them, just send them more beats. Like, like being a producer, like, low-key really easy. Like, it literally is just, like, you just make beats, and then you give them to people. And at some point down the middle of that, like, you know, there's other things, like, YouTube beats or whatever, but it's, like, basically, you're just making beats and sending them around. So it's, like... If somebody doesn't hit your beat, but you know it's a good beat, like don't get discouraged. Just like send it to someone else, and if they don't like it, send it to someone else. And like literally, just like just be persistent. It's like it's kind of like a it's like dating or some shit. Damn near. It's like you have to just like find somebody that like you want to like date. You gotta and find just, the right man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like fucking just start giving them shit and like just seeing what happens. Just like letting shit flow because it's like I know just too many heads who like will send. 15 beats to one guy he won't hit any of them and then i'll just hear like yo fuck that dude like he's like not really working it's like well no actually you have no idea what that guy's doing he just didn't hit your beats right now but that doesn't mean he's not going to like he might hit them in five months from now he might need some more beats with most artists if you're doing good shit as a producer you can do something that will get their attention that's actually the next advice too is like i guess it's kind of this is like a, a it's a paradox a bit because like there are certain things that producers can do that like will get you more placements. Like for instance, like what kind of beats you're making. Like you can make any kind of beat, but generally just like simpler beats we talked about earlier, just like more like minimal like beats that just like are easier to like just fit your voice into. Those ones you'll have way more heads open to hitting those beats. Because if you have like you know, that's why uh, I think no melody beats are so big right now. <laughs> That's why I fucking. That's how we're greeting each other. <laughs> Instead of dapping each other up, we're just gonna fucking bow. <laughs> we do the whole Asian thing. That's yeah. why, like, that's why no melody beats are so big, though. It's because uh, they're just so simple. Like their beats, like they go hard. And if you're like, you can like not be that good at rapping, but like you can just go on one of those and just fucking like dominate it. If like you just really are hungry that day, because those beats like leave so much room for just like you. So, like, that, you know, if you're trying to get a bunch of placements and don't really care about, like, your sound, you kind of weren't just, like, making songs, do shit like that. Just, like, literally, like, s- kind of sell out and just, like, make make the shit people want to hop on. Like, that's, that is something you could, that's, like, very much that I know many producers who just do that. And, like, I don't, I don't even think it's, like, I actually have, I have a lot of respect for producers who, like, completely willingly, like, compromise them having their own styles and shit just to like get placements because that actually takes a lot of nuts like, if you're gonna be like there's one guy young glizzy young glizzy like he just makes i mean you know he makes other beats but like from what i hear what he's putting out majority of his beats people are hitting are piano beats like actually for that matter i think every bit i've ever heard about young glizzy 
it was a piano beat like i couldn't i would don't have the balls to just sit at home and make piano beats all day like that just like i couldn't do that's like too much but he just does that so like even though i might not do that person like i might not enjoy making piano beats that much or, like respect piano beats as much I actually respect him for it more because he's just ballsy enough to like sit at home and just know like, yeah, I'm just going to make 20 beats. They're just like, they're just going to get hit. So like, you know, you can take the, like, the young Lizzie approach or like, or on the other end, the complete opposite. You like get so invested in like making your own style that eventually like you become your own commodity where it's like you have such a distinct style that like heads will then come to you because they want to get into your sound. That's like why I think, um, like Metro was so big for a while was because like when he became big like the style he was on it wasn't this like you know I don't, I don't think he invented that style but like there aren't that many heads in like the trap world who kind of make like this sort of like very almost like or they're they're very minimal but also like kind of like orchestral like they're very like music theory folks there's a lot of like scales and just like chords and shit in his beats and so like he got really big for those few years. He was, like, really, like, number one, number one, because, like, he was really, you know, in that lane of just, like, Atlanta trap and shit. He was one of the only heads who was, like, really focused on that realm. So just, like, there's kind of two things. You can either just, like, sell out. We're not even just sell out, you know, but kind of just, like, pander to, like, what's going on and try to just, like, get placements. And that's really, like, that is, like, a very true strategy you can just do. Or just, like, you know, just do your thing for a while and, like, maybe not get placements for a while, but just, like, get your own sound going to where then you can, like, start having people actually come into you, like, looking for you. And then to further build on that, on the opposite end of instead of how to get started, how to, like, not fall off, I would say if you're, like, a producer, you should always be focused on, like, expanding what you can do. Because that's, that's, I think, why you have certain heads who, like, get really big for a few years and then they're just gone because like you have producers who come out like on one sound that becomes like really like a really big wave for a while but if you can't adapt and start making more sounds like you're fucked that's why kanye's been on for so long it's because like it's consistently changing because yeah it's like whenever kanye drops an album you really like don't know what that shit's about to be it could really be like you know some gospel or some some boom bap or like some trap like who knows it's been like you know, I haven't heard the new Kanye leaks, but I've heard enough snippets of his yeah, shit. I still gotta listen. Where to it's them. like his new album, like I have no idea. I've heard him drop some new like trap sounding shit in the snippets. I've heard some like gospely shit. Who knows what it's about to be? It's like he keeps you on your toes. So I think that like to as a producer to stay on for like the long run, that's really key. You have to like if you're making trap beats and you get really good at that, make a boom bap beat and then get really good at that. And then if you're like get really good at that, you know make like an R&B beat and then maybe try like you know a G funk beat just try everything because ultimately that's how you stay on if you can make anything you're set so you feel like it's kind of like a balance between like you have the Wendigo sound is a very specific sound Mm. so you feel like it's a balance between having a very specific sound and being versatile yeah so I think that like a lot of producers get focused on like having like a signature sound and uh it's honestly like not even what you should worry about like having a signature sound will just come to you eventually like if you just produce for a long time um what you should focus on is like a signature technique like things that you can do that are like your style within any type of beat but isn't like limited to just like a sound because you know it's like i would say it's like like for instance like with me it's like i'm probably most known for like distorted like in my like my sounds like you know guitars and like distorted 808s and shit but those aren't really like 
those are not things that I just do. Those are things that like, you know, anybody who has like a DAW can do or a guitar can do, you know, like those things. But it's like, but there are some things that every producer does that they like really truly is them. That isn't really like in, you know, the sonic side. It's more just like how their beats are made. And I'd say it's much more, like, it's much more important rather to like get that really down and have this like an overall technique that's like really truly like signature to you that you can then apply to like any style. Man, that makes sense. And I feel like we should have got this one out the way right when we started. But where do you get the name Wendigo from? Okay, that's actually it's a funny story. I, fe- I feel like we should have got this one out the way at the beginning. Yeah, so like a Wendigo, like for those who don't know, basically is like it's this Native American monster that uh it comes out in the woods like this like half man, half deer thing. And it basically like possesses people who become cannibals. Like if you eat someone else, it comes through and just like possesses you and makes you like a fucking lunatic. And uh, basically, like back in the day, you know, when I say back in the day, I mean like you know, like 1600, 1700s, like really, really back in the day, that story used to get told to people because when you were like traveling around, there was actually a risk. Like say you know you're like on the Oregon Trail or some shit, there is a risk that you might run out of food and you might like resort to eating your friends or some shit. But if you eat your friends, God damn. you're basically just like getting a meal for a day or a few days, and then you're just going to die anyways. So it's like eating your friends is never the move. It also like say say you're getting really starving and you like want to eat your friends. Like you have to because you, you, if you resist long enough, like maybe you'll just get out of that situation and then you and your friend are still there. And that, story, that was like a very like relevant story back then because that was actually like a real threat. But God so damn. in uh, – Today, it's like the Wendigo, the idea of it's kind of more based off like, I guess like manipulation and just like people who like are users. Like you'll, if you meet somebody who like just comes through and like acts like your friend and then like one of the moments right, it's like take something from you and then run away. They kind of just like cannibalize, like they sort of ate you in that moment. And uh, I wasn't always named Wendigo. Like I went by the name Soulcraft for like my first. Yeah, I remember months. you saying that. And uh that, I had that name because, like, um, Bad Brains, the band, is, like, from my town. They're not from there. That's where they, like, they live there now. And uh, they're one of my favorite bands. They have a song called Soulcraft. So I just, like, made that my name. But um, I changed it to Wendigo because I had an experience where I'm not going to name who it was. But uh, I had a producer. I was in college. And there was this kid at my school who was, like, a much bigger producer than me. Like, he had produced for, like, Xavier Wolf and, like, Rico Nasty at this time. This was, like, you know, 2018, like, at this point. Like, early 2018. This guy would go on to produce for like much bigger people. He's like a pretty big producer now. But um he was at my school. And like the whole year I knew about him. And towards like the end of the year I met him at a party. And like I knew who he was. And I like I went on the way to approach him and they talked to him. I was I was kinda just like naive and like a little like clout hungry, honestly, and just like wanted to like talk to this guy to see what he was about. So I wanted to try and like I was kinda trying to be a wedding go to him a little bit. But um even if I didn't even realize it, I just like wanted something from him. I wanted to like get his approval because he was above me and like at this point. And uh I went to him, just like showing him some music, and he was like, "This shit's dope. Like, let's link up like this week and maybe work on something." And I'm just like getting stupid hyped in my head. I'm thinking like, "Oh, I can get a song with fucking Bones or Xavier Wolf or some shit." And uh, he comes through to my like my dorm a few days later, and I play him this beat I was making, and he just like hears it. He's like, "This is cool. Like, I want to collab on this. Like, can you send me the stems to it?" So I send him the stems, and he just takes them, adds like one fucking sound to it. And then just, like, sends it to, like, Lil Pump, Bones, like, Zodiac, a bunch of heads right in front of me. And just doesn't credit me. And I was, like, I was too naive to even realize what had happened until, like, a few days later when, like, I saw him again. And he showed me, like, the email. And I just, like, realized I didn't have any credit in it. 
And I just asked him, like, why didn't you credit me? And he's like, oh, I did. Like, you just don't see it. Like, I talked to them in person about it. And I kept pressing him about it. And, like, I would just go on and find, like, he just, like, sent this beat out and just, like, didn't give me any credit on it. And by the time that I, like, learned it, he was just gone. Like, he went back. It was, like, at the end of the year, he just went back home. So he, when I met him, at this point, you know, I was pretty new to producing. I had heard that, like, the music game is, like, kind of snaky and schemy and just, like, and, you know, even myself, like, talking to this guy might have even kind of been like that. Like, when I was, you know, went up to me, I, I didn't know the kid. I just wanted to talk to him because, like, he was bigger. And, but then he actually ended up, like, turning that on me and just, like, he just took my stems and just, like, made it into a different beat and then just gave it to these really big heads and just didn't credit me. He was a Wendigo. So when I met that guy, he became like the Wendigo, and I just like made my name Wendigo, just like to always like remind myself like a not to be that, and b to just like look out for that. Damn, that's deeper than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of some fuck shit. That's something to always be aware of. Like anybody doing music, just like always kind of be on your toes. Like you never know. If sometimes you might meet him if you're friends for like with a very long time, and then just like one thing happens, and like suddenly it's just like bad. Well, shit. I think that's a good note to end this on. Wendigo. Thank you, brother. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Ooh, I should probably, I should not bow with the microphone in my face. No, yeah, it's mad fucking sacrilegious. No, I appreciate it, man. It's been dumb fun. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm fucking glad we got to get it done. Yo, can you sign the table real quick before we sign off? Absolutely. We're going to have the Wendigo right next to the Wendigo. Wendigo's Wendigo next to Darkie's Wendigo. Oh, yeah, I'll attempt to draw a Wendigo. It's about to not look nearly as good. Actually, let's try to fucking base it off this guy right here. I have a little diet, like a little template for me. <laughs> All right. That's sweet. Well, shit. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been Cult Classic Interview number 21. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on Instagram at KULT Classic Official. Follow us on Twitter at KULT Classic OFF. And. Be sure to check out our website. Uh, we got our concert tickets up there. Check out our concert schedule. We're always throwing new shows up there. And we got merch called KULTClassicOfficial.com. And follow me on IG at Bobby D on the beat. B-O-B-B-Y-D-E-E on the beat. And follow Wendigo. Do all that. Every single thing he just listed, do it. Or I'll be very tight. Wendigo will be very, very mad. Very upset. Well, shit. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been interview number 21. Peace.